What is a monetized mindset? How does it impact your financial security? How does that help you deal with what happens when what happens happens? Welcome your host, Bart Merrill. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Monetize Your Mindset podcast. This is where we create financial security by monetizing those things that you already know or do. We take a deep dive into what do you like to do? What do you need to do? What are you already doing? Can you monetize it? Or better yet, let's monetize it and create that financial security so that we have the resources to deal with whatever happens when what happens happens. Because we all know that life will happen. It's happening around the world right now with the coronavirus. It's And so we got to expect that life is going to happen and we, we can't control it. And that's what we prepare for here at Monetize Your Mindset. Today we're actually talking with a financial planner, Tyler Olson. He's going to talk to us about things to watch out for, why we should start early. That's one of the things that I wish I would have done was started earlier. And if you're going to do the monetize your mindset thing, if you're going to do the side hustle thing, the entrepreneur thing, no one's going to be putting some money in a 401k for you. You have to do it yourself and prepare for when you get older. And so that's what we're going to take a look at today. Plus, Tyler is also an entrepreneur. He, he told me before we started this thing that he's not a very good employee, and so he has to work for himself so that his boss doesn't fire him. I also wanted to remind you not to forget about the free course that's going to be coming out this month on identifying your ideal side hustle, something that's not going to take a whole lot of time from the other things that you're doing, follows the those questions that I ask. What do you like to do? What do you need to do? What are you already doing? And we take a look at all those things and have you narrow down this list of things into the ones that you can actually turn into a side hustle. So be looking for that. It's coming out. It'll be at bartmerrill.com under the resource page and then courses. And it'll be a free course. And so look for that. I will post more about that as we get closer. All right. Welcome, Tyler. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Bart, for having me. It's great. You're a financial planner. How did you get there? Take me back to how you ended up in this financial planning world. <laughs> well, it's a kind of a, a long story, uh, so I'll try to make it uh, make it as brief as I can. But it goes back to early on when I was I was working on uh, my bachelor's degree uh, in uh, you know early two thousands. I really had no idea what I wanted to do, so I had a very general. Uh, general bachelor's like business administration kind of emphasis. And I had a father and my father-in-law at the time told me to try something that would differentiate myself from the rest of the masses that had a bachelor's degree. So I started trying to pay attention to what piqued my interest. I went into my first accounting class and realized that I like numbers um, and that I was good at it. Uh, so I, I started going down that path, you know, we ended up working at a small uh, company doing accounting. It was, it was a small enough company that, uh, that I had a lot of, you know, freedoms to, to kind of control what I was doing. But I also had another habit, uh, at the time, which was in the Jeep, uh, arena. Uh, I went to Moab and fell in love with that idea. So I bought a Jeep I realized that that's an expensive habit, um, so I was, I was wanting to find uh, a way to, uh, to make my habit not as expensive. And there was a small, I guess they were in a real estate appraisal company or firm that was right next door to our to our company, and there was a Jeep that was always parked in the parking lot there. And so I would always park next to that Jeep. 
uh, because my Jeep was bigger. Uh, so it was, it was kind of a, kind of a, just a personal <laughs> joke for a while. But then I met the owner of that Jeep and we started talking. He had, uh, he'd owned a company previously where, uh, you know, they sold aftermarket products for Jeeps. And, uh, so that planted the idea that maybe we can actually make this expensive habit, not as bad. Anyway, we went into business together. Uh, got to the point where we ultimately wanted to buy uh, our own product line, and that took us to Denver. That that whole uh, whole venture ultimately didn't didn't pan out. It, it lasted about a year, year and a half. This is in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. With that whole business going under, I, I uh, went and worked at uh, worked at a uh, oil and gas company. Uh, in the uh, financial planning and analysis department there working working for that and that was it was a really fun industry uh, doing doing finance there and and planning there uh, you know you round round to the nearest million dollars on their plans and and uh, you know through this time I, I had finished my bachelor's degree in accounting and started a master's degree I was making pretty good money and I went and met with a uh, an advisor uh, from another from a firm there in Denver, and when he when he showed up, I ended up asking all the questions, and he was filled with a whole bunch of uh huh, and yeah, and that's that's a good idea, and yeah, you should have some savings, and yeah, you should you should not have any debts, and yeah, you should have life insurance, and I, I left that uh, that relationship where I was wanting to I guess, start an investment account. I wanted to start something, which is kind of where a lot of people end up, but I wanted to start investing in something. I ended up buying. Uh, a term life insurance policy. That was it. So <laughs> instead of investing in something, I ended up just buying uh, a term a term life insurance policy, and uh, it just kind of triggered this this thought or this this direction that uh, this is this is something that people need. You know, there's so many people who are in in the industry who don't really, I guess they don't really do a whole lot more than sell just a specific type of type of strategy or they don't really give, uh, you know, good advice on how to get to where someone wants to be. Uh, throughout this process, I finished, uh, another, I had an MBA and then I was stupid enough to get a second master's degree, uh, in accounting because I thought maybe the, you know, certified certification of like a certified public accountant or a certified managerial accountant would be a good idea and went to work at a CPA firm and realized that I just don't like accounting. Love the numbers, love working with people, but I don't, I don't like accounting the, just the day-to-day bookkeeping stuff right. drives me crazy. So I started looking for ways to get into the financial advising realm and uh, realized that it was kind of a hard place to get into if you wanted to keep a job at the same time and make a transition because financial advisors don't typically uh, get paid on a salary. They get paid right. uh, based on assets or, or sales. So I found a company that allowed me to keep my job and make a transition. Uh, that was I started that in 2010, maybe a couple of years, but uh, I've been independent, I guess, in that realm ever since. I hear you about the accounting thing, so I don't know if you know this, but I graduated in accounting from Utah State University, but my reason for taking accounting was not to be an accountant. I wanted to get in the FBI, Mm. and that was the easiest way in at the time. I was about one quarter away from finishing my accounting degree. I took some time off, went and helped dad down on the farm, improved my Spanish, and while I was down there, everybody in the law enforcement industry, customs agents, 
uh, Border Patrol, just regular cops were getting this new thing done called RK surgery to correct their vision. And I don't know if you it was before LASIK. Mm-hmm. They actually make slits in your eyeball and then the scar tissue that builds up changes the shape of your eye and it corrects your vision. And I'm down in this podunk, New Mexico, no place to spend my money. So I had money in my pocket that needed to be spent and everybody else was doing it. So I said, okay, I'm going to do it too. I got it done, got back up to Utah State to finish up, started the application process to the FBI and found out that that automatically disqualifies you from the FBI. Oh, nice. And so I'm in this degree that I'm, unlike you, I was not good at it. If in the uh, if in the class name there was the word accounting, I could study hard and the best I would get would be like a B minus. If it was biology, psychology, anything else, I didn't have to study and I would get a an A or a B. Wow. And so I wasn't good at it. I didn't like it. Like you, I you told you mentioned and we, as we were talking before, looking for hours to find a $1 difference in a balance sheet or something. Oh yeah. It was, it was awful. I I worked, I went from the oil companies where, you know, we'd make plans where we're mapping forward for the next year and we're rounding to the nearest million on costs. And I mean, round to the nearest million on cost. That's, crazy right but that's that's the kind of numbers that we were dealing with but then yeah the cpa firm i yeah i spent seven hours one day looking for a dollar discrepancy on the balance sheet and it it drove me insane that's that's when really that that flip just the switch flipped and i just realized this this is stupid right and and so like you i it just wasn't for me i did finish and get my degree in accounting just to finish up and then just haven't had a real job, so I don't know what that's like. But um, yeah, I, I agree with you there. If you want to have a monetized mindset and, and have a side hustle or do your own thing, be an entrepreneur, you have to worry about your own retirement. And something I wished I would have done a long time ago in my 20s, early 30s even, was start putting money away for my retirement. I didn't start till my late 30s. I put $300 away into an IUL and what is that in? Index Universal Life. Indexed Universal Life. So that's mm-hmm. what it is. And I, that may not be the plan, perfect plan for everybody, or, but it's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I remember when I did it, you know, $300 is a small car payment, at least back then, especially. Mm-hmm. It was hard. It was hard to open up my finances. But if I would have done it earlier, I would be set because you got to have someone to take care of you. You don't want to, well, most people don't want to be a burden on their kids. In my situation, I don't have kids and my dog's not going to take care of me. So, you know, I have to have something to take care of myself. Yeah. And that's, that's really, I mean, when I'm, when I'm talking to people and especially when they're younger and they're saying, you know, when, when should I start? I want to, if I, if I save, if I save some money first, you know, I want to get, I want to get some money saved and then I want to start investing. Uh, but you know, like you say, it's $300 or whatever dollar amount is going into an account that's designated for savings. This is, this is like long-term money. There's really one big component that you can never get back when it comes to savings and that's time. Yeah. You know, so, and, and there's, there's a, uh, 
there's a kind of a concept in in the financial world called the rule of 72. Um, I've seen seen a quote that it was like an Albert Einstein thing. Whether it was or not, I have no idea. But uh, <laughs> really, I guess the concept of it is is what what interest rate you're earning, and this works the other way too. But what interest rate you're earning divided into 72 is how many years it'll take for the principal to double. So right. if you're getting one percent interest, which would be a pretty generous CD at a bank, right? It's going to take seventy-two years for that to double, right? So you just work your way up the ladder and say, okay, well, how many times from now until I want to push that button to stop working, do I want this money to double so that when I get to the end goal, it's actually where I want it to be, or it's enough that it's something that I can actually live on, right? And that time component. And those doubling periods, uh, they they just start diminishing the longer someone waits. So whether it's an IUL, whether it's you know dedicated savings, a investment account, whatever, always always I answer is like the answer is always as early as you can. Don't wait. You can figure out details, but start yesterday. Right. Time is something you can't. I can't go back to when I'm 20 and and fix that. So in the investment world, what are some of your, what would you advise someone in any situation? Maybe we do a couple of situations. Mm-hmm. How do you advise them to look at their investing and and what kind of a plan of attack should they take depending on what their, their specific situation is? Yeah. Okay. So I've got to, I have to preface this because I am licensed and I do hold registration. So what I'm saying is not advice. <laughs> um <laughs> That's that's specific to anybody's particular strategy, and right. uh, before anybody starts anything, sit down with somebody, right, and have a customized plan, and and make sure that uh, that what you're doing is what you want it to do in the end, uh, and just understand what you're doing. Um, don't invest in something you don't understand. Like that's that's like one of the first components I would I would say. But if if you've got uh, if you're a self-employed person. There's there's a few things that you should be considering when when you're opening an account or when you're starting to invest. And one of those is what's what's the purpose of this account? And you can have several different accounts, right? You can have uh, brokerage accounts where they remain liquid, uh, meaning it's likely going to do better than a savings account, but you can get the money tomorrow or within a couple of days. So it stays liquid. So you're not, you're not putting, uh, your, I need this money now or in the next short term into something that is going to be locked up or have some sort of a penalty for a number of years. Does that so make would, sense? Yeah. Would that be a good place for an emergency fund versus a savings account or yeah. maybe not? Yeah, it, it, it would be because there's, uh, there's, a I guess options in a brokerage account that are even if it's sitting in cash that are going to earn interest above and beyond what just a regular bank savings account is going to pay. Okay. Right. So, um, so you can you can make I guess a better a better return. Right. On on the money that's just sitting there, and you know, let, and let's let's just say it is an emergency fund. Right. So if someone's in an emergency, if they have money in an emergency fund, the kind of the common common amounts that that uh, would be would be thrown out for an emergency fund type account would be anywhere from three to six months of your of your income needs. Right. Right. And that's that's one of the one of the areas where I think a lot of people get 
discouraged um, and turned off from the idea of doing something because it gets overwhelming, right? So they'll put, uh, they'll, they'll know like, okay, well, I need to put three months worth of income in an emergency fund. Well, most people live on 80, 90%, sometimes 120, 150% of their income. <laughs> right. uh, so the, the idea of putting three months worth of their income into an account that they're not touching is a pretty daunting task, right? So it's going to take them forever just to get there because they're spending their income. So how are they going to save three months worth of it? And if that's the idea of, okay, well, I have to put this here before I start saving, well, then they're losing time. They're never going to, they're never going to start. And that's one of the reasons why an IUL, like what you've got is, is, and can be a a very beautiful thing, right? right? Because you are putting money away. There are ways that they can be structured so that you can access the money and have it be liquid. If it's, if it's your emergency fund, probably not the best way to put all of that. right? Right. But, but you can, you can structure those in a way that you can access the money. Right. Um, from a, uh, like an emergency fund standpoint, it's it's not necessarily a hundred percent of your income. It's what it is is it's it's three months of your your income needs. So right. income needs are not like your habit spending. <laughs> they're <laughs> they're the what do I need to keep a roof over my head, be able to keep going to work, eat, you know, survive. Th- right. That's that's your emergency fund kind of kind of money, because in an emergency you're likely going to change some of your habits. Right. Uh, along the way. So that's, that's really what that means. But yeah, you can, you can put an emergency fund into, into a brokerage account and given an opportunity to get up to that three months because the money can be working for you also like right. in, in conjunction with your right. savings. So, but it, it needs to stay accessible. And what I do, I, I don't feel comfortable unless I have six months or better in the bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to think, right now we have the coronavirus going on. Mm-hmm. And it is affecting, it will affect my business this year. I don't know how much, but it it already is. I'm looking for a shipment that's going to Japan. It took me a month to find containers that are going on a boat that'll go to Asia because they're not going to Asia right now. Mm. The It's just less. Same thing with the, the tourism is down. So that's going to affect how many trailers are purchased from me for Okinawa for Japan because Chinese tourists just aren't there. So money is tight. Uh, and so it you have these things that affect your business that having that emergency fund, sure. You know, I have six months that if nothing comes in, I'm, I'm doing okay. And so it gives me a chance to, well, maybe I need to do something else. Find another side hustle to to make things happen. So what else? Give me some more financial advice. Oh well, not advice. It's not advice. <laughs> it's it's things to think about. Things to think about. Yeah, things to think about. So so you've got you've got a few different areas of your of your savings. So you've got the emergency fund, and that can be part of additional savings. So you know you can put it in the bank. You can put it somewhere else. Uh, you know I mean there's that's that's not as important in your situation, I would consider, I would consider some options that may give you a better return than the point zero 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 one five that <laughs> right, you're, that right. you're getting at the bank that would, that would remain just as, just as safe as that. Uh, but then you've got, uh, you've got other, other things that are, that are there too. One of the areas where I think that people who are 
uh, self-employed or that own their own business, that they're affected a little bit differently and don't don't always think about all of the different options they've got is the difference in how to save for retirement, right? So if, if you don't have a 401k, which is what most people in the working world use as their savings vehicle, that's their, that's their primary long-term investment vehicle is their 401k. Right. Uh, if you are self-employed, you likely don't have a 401k. Right. They're they, just to administrate a 401k is pretty expensive on a company. Well, the requirements that are there are just beyond what most small businesses can handle. So they turn to the next thing that they know and uh, they open up an IRA or a Roth IRA. And those are great, but they come with limitations, right? The IRS, uh, they, they limit what you're able to put into a Roth IRA. You're also limited uh, based on how much money you make. Like then I don't know that everybody realizes that, but there's a, there's kind of a phase out period when you start making too much money, your ability to put money into a Roth IRA is diminished. Um, and a Roth IRA, one of the reasons they're so great is because of their future tax benefits, right? Right. And there's actually only two, two vehicles in the financial world that have that same kind of tax treatment, uh, for long-term money. Uh, Roth IRA, and when I say tax treatment, I'm saying like the tax-free distribution, right, or withdrawal abilities. So there's the Roth IRA and there's the IUL or life insurance. Um, Those two are the only ones that have the ability to pull money out without having to claim it on taxes. They're both awesome vehicles, but a Roth IRA is limited to $6,000 a year for someone under, what is it, like 52, 53. And then they, uh, beyond that age, you have an awesome makeup provision where you can put a little bit more right. in a year to, to make up your ground right. of what you can put in there. Um, so, you know, someone will put money into a Roth IRA or to an IRA, but if you're self-employed and you're making, making good enough money, you can, you can do, uh, you can do things that a lot of people don't realize. Um, and, and open up uh, like an SEP IRA. Uh, what that does is for a small business or, you know, like a single, single uh, owner kind of situation is you can have, you can have policies in your business that allow you to contribute to all of your employee uh, and their, and their SEP IRA, right? So if you have a, if you have a policy and this is, this is where the discrimination rules come in with 401ks and where if you've got employees, it's things you've got to think about because if you say to one or to yourself, well, I'm going to, I'm going to match a hundred percent of what I put into my IRA with a company contribution. Now you've got to say the same thing to everybody else who works for you. Otherwise you're breaking rules and can get in trouble with that. But if you're, if you're an only owner kind of thing, you know, you can say, well, I'm going to have an SEP IRA for my company and for all of my employee, which is just yourself. And you can also have a policy that says my company is going to match, uh, all of my contributions and they'll do that, uh, hundred percent. So now I'm going to put, you know, 16, $17,000, whatever you're putting in there into your SEP IRA, and then your company is going to match it. And now you get that tax, uh, tax deduction benefit from, you know, double the amount. Plus you're able to put a lot more into that account. If that makes sense. Right. Right. So you're able to deduct all the contribution and on your personal income and deduct the match from the company's contribution. And then you can build up an account a lot faster that way. That's good, so, that's good information. I didn't even know there was 
that other IRA. Mm-hmm. Where does the money from the IRAs, what is it when you put money in an IRA, what what does it do? What how is it managed? How does it grow? Yeah, so there's there's a lot mm-hmm. of different ways that you can that you can structure IRAs and they they range anywhere from you know, indexed annuity accounts to variable annuity accounts to brokerage accounts, which is basically like, uh, you know, I want to go open up an account at Charles Schwab. You can open an account type that is IRA. Okay. And uh, then that gives the ability to select from any, any of the investment stocks, bonds, mutual funds that are in the investment world uh, to invest in. So you like you like a, a specific stock, you like Ford, go buy Ford in your IRA. If you, you know, and, and if you want to be super conservative, then you can put your IRA all in bonds. You can hire uh, an, an investment advisor like like me to to help you with those selections because that's that's really where a lot of people I think where they they uh, I guess get discouraged or overwhelmed with the with the idea of the stock market they'll either not understand it so they won't do it or they'll think they understand it and then get tied to their own decisions and end up just writing a an a bad investment all the way to the bottom because I I'm convinced that it's coming back or right. this just can't be right? right so or or they or they're so overwhelmed with both of the ideas that they'll just kind of throw the darts and say, all right, well, this is just where it's going to sit and they're never going to look at it again. I think that all of those are kind of pitfalls that, that someone will run into, but having someone who does understand or that does make it their their profession to right. help people along those paths is is a big benefit. You know, it's it's someone else in your corner that's saying, here's here's where you're at. This is what we're looking at. This is what we're seeing. At the end of the day, it's your money, right? right. So if if you don't like the the person, you don't like how they smell, how they look, how they how they uh, how, how if they get squirrely or if they don't return calls or whatever it is, you right. know, you you can you can change that and go to someone who you, you do like uh, and have them help you. But having someone that is in uh, that's acting in your interests, I think that's that's one thing that's probably important to to consider too is what's what's their motivation. Right. Uh, for the advice they're giving. Right. And there's, there's a couple of hats and I, we can go down that path a little bit if you want to, but there's a sure. couple of different hats in, in the investment world that advisors can wear. Uh, there's the registered representative hat, which is okay. Well, I have a broker dealer. The broker dealer has uh, specific contracts that they like to sell different mutual funds or, or whatever the case is. If I go to pick a, pick a company, but say you go to a, a Merrill Lynch broker dealer registered representative right and you go in sit down and and they have this list of deals this list of accounts that uh that they come back to you with chances are a lot of those are going to be merrill lynch funds because they're the best in the world or because that's kind of what the house sells right right um so there's there's some incentive to sell a specific type of thing and whether that's because it's a commission uh whether it's because that's what the house sells or whatever it is there's a hat that they're wearing which is i'm 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 getting paid a commission or I'm giving you advice based on your suitability needs, right? So if you answer my questions on your risk that say, okay, I'm, I'm an aggressive person. Well, I've got hundreds of aggressive mutual funds. And if I'm saying, you know, this is your, what's suitable for you is an aggressive fund and I can pick from any of those hundred, 
I'm going to pick the one that pays me the best. Right. Not that necessarily is the best for you. Right. Right. The other side to that is the uh, best interest standard. And that's, that's the fiduciary role. And that's where an investment advisor representative or a registered investment advisor. And that's, that's what I am. I can't legally give you advice that has anything to do with my paycheck. Right. So uh, if I have that knowledge just going into it that, hey, I mean, if 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 there's advice being given, it's because it's in your best interest, not because I'm going to get paid better one way or the other because I don't get paid commission. Right. So now the incentive to offer one fund over another one based on how much I'm going to get paid goes away because it doesn't matter which one I do. I'm only getting paid based on how well I do my job and how much money I'm managing. Right. Right. So just you want to you want to be careful with that. And and the 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 tricky part is that that hat can switch mid sentence and um, you wouldn't even know that it switched as as a as a client or a a prospective client. Right. You know, because I could sit down and and hold both the licenses. I actually hold both the licenses. Right. I just don't have a broker dealer affiliation. So I can sit down with somebody and say, hey, you know what? We're going to talk about this and I'm going to do everything because I have this license. I'm going to do everything that's in your best interests and I'm going to give you the advice that's the best for you. And then I'll take the hat and I'll just kind of flip it around. I'll say, and now because you uh, told me that you are an aggressive investor, um, here's some funds that I think would be appropriate for you. But you didn't even realize the, the switch. Right. Right. So that's that's, I think, an important thing to clarify or ask is, are you a registered representative or are you a fiduciary? Um, And do you have a broker dealer affiliation? If there's a broker dealer affiliation, still you can still do business there. It's not it's not uh, it's not that it's a bad thing. Just be aware that 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 that's that switch can happen. That's that's all that they have to have to do (laughs) is is have that suitability requirement met. Gotcha. Right. So if, if someone's meeting in, in those lines and you, you make sure that you are getting the advice that's the best for you, uh, and having, this is where it was, it was the boxing ring corner, right? So someone in your corner that is, uh, looking out for your interests, knows what your goals and objectives are. They're making recommendations and building strategies, even adjusting strategies, you know, markets change, uh, conditions change. Coronavirus has come out. Exactly. And it moves markets. You know, there's there's different things that affect the direction of where things are. And if you've got someone who's aware of what your objectives are, they're meeting with you and they're talking about those things. You're one, you're more likely to continue saving toward your goals and objectives. But two, you know, when when there are downturns in the market, there's there's signals that those things are going to happen. Not fast, sharp, quick moves uh, like, you know, we've seen recently. Right. Those are those are unpredictable, but bigger moves, recessions, bear markets, those are not as difficult to predict within right. within reason. Right. Right. It's not a crystal ball thing, but there's there's indications that tell us when when things are likely to happen and when they're not. You know, if you've got someone who's watching those components and working in your objective and in with your objectives in mind, then uh, your chances of getting to the retirement line in the way that you want to be there is is more likely just because you're you're not going to necessarily ride a 50% recession all the way through with without at least having some indication or some plan on how to deal with it. 
Gotcha. So Okay, that's good information. Now, you were talking about, I don't know if this is a good comparison or not, but you were talking about how emotions play on your decisions with someone mm-hmm. who thinks they know the market. I mean, I've been there. I've I've watched, I've ridden a, a ride all the way to the bottom and the company switched names and came back in a different name mm-hmm. and I lost everything that I had in there. Right. When I buy a trailer for someone in Japan, I'll send them over a list of suitable trailers. Mm-hmm. They send me back a list of, you know, four or five that they're interested in. And when I call on that trailer, I don't care who I buy from mm-hmm. in that list. I care who can get my client the best deal. Yeah. And so I've taken the emotion out of it because if I'm buying something for myself, I might care a little more, right. might be a little bit, little more tied to something. But when I don't have that emotion, I make the better deal. I don't know if that's a like I don't know if that's a suitable analogy, but I feel that's the same when you're if you are an an active trader mm-hmm. in the investment world versus someone who has all that emotion tied up. I'm sure if if you lose someone's money, you you are emotional. But I'm not saying you're not mm-hmm. emotional when something goes right. wrong. I'm just saying with the emotion out of it. You you probably play a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's I mean it is a good it is a good analogy, like a good comparison. Uh, the when when I say the emotion, the emotional impact, or the uh, I guess taking the emotion out of it, it's not it's not a it's not from an angle of you know when the markets do things that are unpredictable that that doesn't cause some puckering. Right. to happen right um what it what it does though is it it allows us to be able to uh view the market from a larger from a larger viewpoint or bigger lens if you will so, so we're, we're looking at overall you know bigger market trend as opposed to i just love this stock <laughs> and it has a really cool name and i worked there and i love them like so Come hell or high water, I'm I'm sticking with this, and that could be that could be a terrible decision, right? And they can they'll just watch it go all the way down. The anxiety will go up, that will go down. It'll continue going down, or even uh, you know just just take a take a different uh, different look at it and just say, okay, well, what if what if I was just convinced that because of uh, because of my political views that the market is going to go this direction because of those those views that i have or you know whatever whatever that lens is that you're looking at the economy through you're just convinced the market's moving in one direction uh so you're going to you're going to bet in that direction and find all of the justifications emotionally because you've psychologically convinced yourself this is happening or that it has to happen <laughs> because I see things this way. You'll ride that decision all the way through and you'll justify your stance the whole way to broke, right? Right. Um, so when I when I say that you got to be able to take the emotion out of it, it's, it's just being able to look at it more objectively and say, you know what, in spite of my views, right. these are the conditions that actually cause the markets to do this. Right. Uh, you know, when you're dealing more in... Uh, in probability than you are in just trying to convince yourself of a viewpoint, then you, you look at more data and try to see things from a from a, a more, uh, I guess, a, a view of, okay, well, when, when these conditions are this way, 
and mm-hmm. there's market history, we can look back right. and say, okay, well, what's another time when the economy looked like this and another time when the markets looked like this? And then what did it do? Now, what's the probability that it's going to do this? Uh, then then we, we can more get in line with, with those probabilities. And you're not always right, but the decisions are made based on factors that you can go back and say, okay, did I, did I view this objectively or did I view this emotionally? Right. So, right. uh, and if you can say, I, I viewed this objectively, then next time that it happens, you're likely to make the same decision. Right. Right. And since the markets go both ways, uh, sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong, but, uh, from an objective standpoint, more times than not, it's, it's the right, right move or at least explainable. Yeah, at least explain them. That's good. All right. So now we're going to go get into a couple of questions that I didn't warn you about that I probably should have, but that's okay. You can leave. You can know. (laughs) What is one mistake that you've made in your life? Doesn't have to be with financial advising, but something in the business world where you've learned the most. Yeah, you know, failed ventures, failed ventures, something or, like yeah, that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the lessons, right? That's biggest, you know, biggest mistake. I would say it's actually even pretty recent. Is uh, is not not having uh, things spelled out, you know, having contracts in the right place. I think that going into business with with someone or or some company, you can have trust, and I think it's I think you've got to be able to trust people in general. And I think that overall people are good and they, they do intend and do follow through on the things that they would, that they say they're going to do, but have contracts. Uh, that's, that's the, that's a, just a big mistake is trusting that, uh, people are going to follow through on what you just thought they would follow through. Contract just takes that out of the, out of the equation. Even if it's a best friend that you're going to go into business with, spell it out, then Maybe the friendship will survive the business. <laughs> right. Okay. So along that same lines, what is your biggest success and what did you learn from it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, or a big success. Maybe not yeah, your biggest. Yeah. You know, I big success for me uh, is stepping out, just following what what it is that I want to do and then having it actually pay off. I've, I've, been, I've been in jobs. I've been in pretty well paying jobs. I've seen those jobs vanish. There's a, a lot of times that the the idea of a guaranteed paycheck is really what does it for people, particularly folks we may be married to. Um, <laughs> but I've I've witnessed uh, firsthand those guarantees vanish in a hurry. For me, I, I would say the biggest biggest success is just realizing that if I can control my time, my attention. And what I want to do, and I can do it, the, the, the money will be there, but there's more satisfaction in having that, that aspect of, of control in my life. It's been, it's been over the last several years that I've actually just followed that. That's, that's, where, that's where I've seen some of my biggest success is doing what I want to do, doing it in the way that I want to do it. Well, you said you weren't a good employee. No, I'm terrible. Earlier. Yeah, I'm a terrible employee. <laughs> Stepping out takes some guts, you know, especially if you do it faster than you probably should sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or if you've stepped out and something happens where you have to do a quick change or mm-hmm. like for, for us with the coronavirus, 
I, I don't know how much it's going to affect my business, but it could be pretty dramatic. And that's just that's just one of my business. Mm-hmm. That's another reason why multiple streams of income is important. Oh, absolutely. Because if something goes down and you have something else that is there, you don't lose everything. And even if you have a job, I believe you need multiple streams of income. Yeah. Because you never know what's going to happen with that job, like yep. you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Do you read much? Yeah, I read a lot. What is your favorite, most influential book that you've read that maybe you use quote a lot from or you use the advice from a lot? Uh, Probably Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich. Yeah, Napoleon Hill. I've read that one several times and there's still things that I try to understand with it, but I'm, I'm really big. I, your, your book, the monetize your mindset book is a, is a, is a good book. Well, it's, I was going to say, you know, other than monetize <laughs> your mindset. Other mind- than this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I haven't, I haven't been influenced as, or I guess exposed as much to it as, as the think and grow rich, but those, those types of books just do it for me. And I, I think I find that a lot with people who are in the entrepreneurial world. They're, they're big on, mindset they're big on on how to think because so i think that the how to think sometimes is just as important as what to think and so i i lean on that quite a bit yeah i I think books and and now podcasts like this podcast Mm -hmm. podcasts are very influential in the way i get my information nowadays you know i listen to a lot of books listen to a lot of podcasts and there's just so much information out there that is that is good yeah, absolutely. And Think and Grow Rich, it's an old book, but it still has still still uh, still relevant. Relevant, it's, it's wild, yeah. Right? Yeah. All right, well, Tyler, thanks for coming in today. In closing, what is your best advice for someone when they I mean, you've given a lot of advice today, not advice. Uh you've given a lot of scenarios or a lot of maybe things to think about. Things guidance. to think yeah. about. What is the the one or two things that you can leave us with that maybe we should look out for in the investment world? Watch out for commission breath. Um, you know it when you see it uh, or when you smell it. <laughs> um, that's that's there. Make sure that uh, that who you're working with is actually acting in your best interests and has that in in mind. You can you can check records of everybody in in the financial world. You know what they do, what their registrations are. If they have disclosures, we're required to list. Right. Um, those things are all there. So just make sure that you're working with someone who's reputable and who can ex- explain in a way that's easy for uh, for you to understand. People are people are all over the map on what they are, how much they want to know, right? And and how much is is actually conveyed. I would have somebody that can. Just make sure that when, when you're meeting with them, that if you want to know what time it is, they can tell you. And if you want to know how the watch works, they can go into that. Gotcha. And if, if that if that analogy makes sense. It right? does. It does. Um, so there's there's a lot of intricacies in in investing. Just make sure that how you're matching yourself up with your your money at the end of it, it's it's your money. All of those can be met from a way that is comfortable for you. Not not just, you know, it's a big name, so I'm going with them. But are you comfortable with how they can explain things, when they explain things, and what they're doing and why they're doing it in your interests? Correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're working with someone in your investment, in the investment world, if, if I was your client mm-hmm. 
it should be a relationship that we stay in touch and that we, you know, at least once a year we get together and make sure we're still going down the the right path. Correct. Correct. Yep. At least once a year is the appropriate. Tyler, if someone wants to get in contact with you, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Yeah. uh, Easiest way uh, right now is just to give me a call and uh, we can, we can figure out a time to get together. Numbers uh, 801-598-6957. And that's that's my cell number, so I can I can be reached on there pretty much anytime. Okay, I'll also put that in the show notes for everybody. Until next time, go monetize it. Fantastic, thanks, Bart. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Remember, monetize your mindset, build financial security by monetizing what you already know, so that you will always have the resources to deal with whatever happens, when what happens happens. Follow us on Facebook and at BartMerrill.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review.